0: Welcome to the Kesset Church Podcast. We are so glad you've joined us and hope you enjoyed today's sermon. If you'd like to find out more about Kesset, you can head to kessetchurch.com or find us on Facebook. Hey, good morning. Merry Christmas. How's everybody? Uh, if you're new, my name is Danny. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm going to be sharing with you today. Uh, I want to start off before I dive in, I want to recognize. All of the volunteers that put in so much effort to make this holiday season happen. Yeah, it's, it, uh, for those of you who are new, or maybe you've just never really put it together, but everything you see here, everything in the hallways, the children's on stage, all of that gets hauled in, and after service, all of that gets hauled out. It's well over 100 people that, uh, that dedicate their time early, early in the morning to, uh, to be here and set up and organize throughout the week. And so we recognize that none of this could happen without the, the, that part of our Kesed family. So thank you very much. We are just, uh, we're grateful to those hands. We're grateful to those prayers and the folks that, that make all that happen. Um, question, we've, we're in the fourth week, the final installment of our Christmas at Kessid series. And the last three weeks, we've kind of been talking around the periphery. We, we haven't really got into the actual Bible story, and we did that on purpose. We did that to really illustrate this idea that, that Christmas isn't just about uh, the Gospels. Christmas just isn't about a few chapters that talk about a virgin who gave birth to a baby who would then be the Messiah, Savior of the world. Christmas is is really about about every day and all year, and it's woven through all Scripture, which is why we've been talking about other verses from Old Testament to late and to the new that really point towards this Christmas story. It's the story of salvation. It's the story of togetherness. It's the story of God joining uh, himself with us in our journey, and I just want to Take a second and, and recognize that if you're brand new here today, uh, if you're on a spiritual journey, if you're just kind of seeking or searching, or maybe you've already decided there is no God and you're just here, as we say, because a pretty girl asked you to church, uh, that's okay. My hope is that uh, what I believe is that we have the Holy Spirit. That's the presence of God. My hope is that even if God's presence has felt dead in your life for years or maybe even non-existent, that today something would awaken in you. That today you would realize you're supposed to be part of a bigger story, a bigger picture. You're supposed to be connected. You're supposed to be, as we say, in harmony with with this life that God has given all of us. And you have a role to play, even if you've never experienced it. And so as bothersome as it is, I want to pray over this room that that's exactly what would happen. That we would set down all distractions that we would ask bigger questions than we normally ask, that we would not just think about how we're going to pay for all those Christmas gifts or how we're gonna, uh, how, what we're going to do next year to accomplish our goals, but that, that we would take a minute and just say, okay, if, if there is a spirit out there, especially if you're seeking, if there is something more out there, if you're not just science sitting in a chair, if you're not just that, I'd love for you to just take a minute and maybe open your mind, open your eyes, And just ask, are you there? Just for the next 40 minutes, be willing to engage the living God. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I know there's people in this room right now who just got incredibly uncomfortable. I'm good with it, God, because I know you are. I know that sometimes discomfort brings beautiful change in our lives. When we, when we exercise or when we show discipline in our finances and save, all of these things bring discomfort. When we choose not to go hang out with friends but invest in our difficult-to-manage children or our families or stay inside a, a, a marriage, God, that, that we just don't know if it's going to be as hopeful as we thought, all of these things, God, they, they, are, just, they are uncomfortable, but they bring such incredible joy in the end. Lord, I ask today that we would sit inside this discomfort just a little bit, that we would ask bigger questions than ourselves, that we would think about bigger things than our futures, that we would ask, Lord, where are you and how do we participate in your plan for our lives? We are grateful, we are prepared, we set down our distractions, and we thank you, Lord. We thank you for the way that you are going to present yourself to us now, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So... Uh, I want to close the series uh, uh, through talking about something within the story, something very specific within the Bible story. But first I want to ask this. Uh, how many people uh, did Christmas tree shopping very, very late in the season this year? Just go ahead. Like, like, let me ask it better. How many people just got a tree this week? Raise your hand. Yes, a whole bunch of embarrassed people. Just like very, You need to own that stuff. How many people, boldly raise your hand, just got a Christmas tree in the last like seven days? Raise that hand. That is terrible. That is not. There's nothing nothing appropriate about that whatsoever. Do you even believe in Christmas? The the truth of it is we have all kinds of symbols that we judge each other on, right? All kinds of symbols that that we that we wonder whether or not you believe in Christmas if you don't have this or do have this. I was recently in the house of a pagan. I enjoy uh, hanging out with people outside the church, especially people outside my belief system. I think it sharpens me. I get to have really great talks. And oftentimes they like me even if they don't like my God, and that confuses them for some reason. And I love that. I love that. I was in the house recently of someone who definitely didn't believe in God, and they had a nativity scene. And I was like, what is this? And they were like, ooh, that's been passed down for two generations. Like this baby Jesus, they don't even make anymore. And I was like... But this is, this is the story of Christmas. Don't you try to push your religion on me. Do you know how much Joseph is worth today? It was amazing. And oftentimes we do. We have these nativity scenes and we use them without even really knowing what they're about. This is really the Christmas story. You've got the baby Jesus who was, who was God incarnate. You've got the Virgin Mary, who who God came to and said, you're going to give birth to the Savior of the world. You've got Joseph, uh, who earlier in the story was the husband-to-be. And then he eventually married Mary, and they had their child, and they started their family. A little unconventional. You've got angels who proclaimed to shepherds beneath a star that the Messiah would be born. They were the very first ones there to greet the child. And then you've got the wise men, also known as magi, the three wise men. We sing about these guys a lot. And here's what's interesting about this picture that most of us have in our homes. The only thing that doesn't belong here are the wise men or the magi. These people don't belong in this story at all, and that's exactly what we're going to talk about today. They came much, much later for very different reasons than most people realize. And so that's exactly how we're going to enter into today's talk. The arrival of the wise men, as I said a minute ago, known as the Magi, really kind of seems out of place. If you really were to look at it in scripture, you've got to ask, why are they there? What does this mean? As a matter of fact, only Matthew's gospel even mentions them. The other three don't even mention them. It's only Matthew's gospel that says they came, and he gives no explanation or background to the Magi. Yet it is clear in his gospel that they have a significant presence in the the story. We can also see from Matthew that several aspects of the Magi within our traditional nativity scene folklore are incorrect. First, we refer to them as kings. They are not kings. (laughs) Nowhere does it say they're kings. We three kings of orient are. Did we sing that today? Did we refer to them as kings at all today? No? Okay, good. Because I want to hammer down the reality that those are poor theologically based Christmas songs, although we may sing them. I don't know. The word magi actually refers to pagan astrologers from the east, and I'm going to talk about that in a moment. They are people who sought knowledge from the stars and planets based on interpreted dreams and visions. Everybody out there who who, is into horoscopes right now is like, I knew it! (laughs) Scorpio rules, right? I mean, it's all, this is who these people were though. They were people who read the daily paper, looked at their horoscopes and said, this is how I'm going to live my life. They looked at the stars, they believed in what they saw, and they followed them. Now, I'm not validating horoscopes because I'm going to base just how the Holy Spirit taught these men, but I am validating their belief in something beyond themselves. This is why I think it's really important to address all the the non-Christians, the unbelievers in the room. I know you know, I know you know there's more to your life than what you're doing if you don't believe in God. I know you do. I was talking with a man recently, a wonderful man, asking great questions about faith, and the thing that we finally both landed on was when I asked him, when you look into your daughter's eyes, do you believe she's just a science experiment? Is she just nothing but biology? Do you only love her because chemically you have to in order for the species to move on? And he's like, without a doubt, absolutely not. Like, those were fighting words. I didn't know if I was going to be able to leave the Starbucks. (laughs) And I said, hey, why is that? Why, why if we're not just being logical, as my non believing atheist friends say, can't we just hand our children to their mothers after born and say, Man, that's a great biological package. Take care of it. Therefore, the world can continue on. No, we know. We look into their eyes and we see something different. That's who these men were. They were people who saw something and they were searching and they were looking. Second, As I already mentioned, the Magi did not join the shepherds to visit Jesus on the day of his birth. They came on an entirely separate occasion, most likely two to two and a half years later. People don't realize that. They think they belong in the manger scene, but they don't. You should just get little tiny Magi and set them way across on the other side of your house. That should be the major scene. Big, full-size, and little tiny magi-like, like like out in the garage. And two and a half years later, on that Christmas, you should let them arrive. That would be the only appropriate nativity scene you could build. That is awesome. Somebody write that down. I'm going to make a lot of money on that. (laughs) Appropriate magi. Every year, they could get a little bigger (laughs) as they get closer. (laughs) All right, finally, the Bible never specifies that there were only three magi. We know their caravan was large because all Jerusalem knew when they entered. This is in Matthew chapter 2, verse 3. But we do not know exactly how many there were. We just bulk them into three sections because there were three gifts given. There could have been 15, 20, 25 magi. We have no idea. We know that they traveled from a very long distance for a very long time to meet the Savior. So what does the Bible say about Magi? The first thing you need to realize is that the only other book in the Bible that even mentioned this word is in Daniel. And Daniel was someone who was captured and brought into slavery along with the Israelite people who ended up being a prophet. And Daniel was 600 years before Jesus was even born. The magi that we see in the book of Daniel appeared in King Nebuchadnezzar's court, who was the king that oversaw the capture of the the, uh, Hebrew people, and Daniel as well. And he had a bad dream, and he wanted people to come and decipher his dream. This is what it says in Daniel chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled, and he could not sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. When they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I have had a dream that troubles me, and I want to know what it means. In the Greek translation of the Old Testament, those astrologers above are the magi. Because we know that Daniel was eventually brought in, this slave who heard the king's dream and interpreted it, we also know that Daniel was then put over all of the sayers, all of the seers, all of the speakers in the kingdom, all of the magicians, all of the sorcerers, and all of the astrologers. He was raised to an incredibly high level because he was the only one who could interpret the dream, which makes for an interesting thought. I'll put it up there. Some of the wise men, the ones that came to see Jesus in Daniel's charge, were the predecessors Of the Magi, we see hundreds of years, 600 years later, in the Gospel of Matthew, traveling from east to worship Jesus. Daniel had given to these people incredible sight, and so these people held great stock in his words and in his writings, including other prophecies that he gave, and one of those prophecies was that one day on a certain date, there's, there's all kinds of calculations. You can go back and look at Daniel's prophecy. So many years from this and so many years from this and so many years from this, it ends up being just over 600 years. He says, there will be born a king of kings. And he says, and a star will show you where he is. So generation after generation of magi, of astrologers, were passing down these prophecies to the next generation, sharing with them, that one day a child would be born who would change everything. You can look this up. You can spend time on it. You can investigate it. You can try to unravel it. But the reality is the greatest historians know that Daniel's prophecies were written 600 years before Jesus was ever born. And by the way, nobody doubts that Jesus was born or that he was crucified. You know that, right? Like there's no, no one's like, Jesus doesn't exist. No, Jesus existed. He's written about in hundreds of documents outside This book, as is the capture of the Hebrew people by King Nebuchadnezzar, as are Daniel's prophecies. These people, the difference between them and you is that they believed it. And so they studied these prophecies until eventually all those years later they traveled to that place. Can you imagine being the father, like the year 570-something being the father that hands his son the final prophecy and says your generation will be the one that meets the king." Your generation will be the one who follows the star. Your generation will be the one who gets to meet God himself. When all those years later arrived and the Magi arrived in Judea, the province that Jesus was born in, they started out at the most logical place. They went to the king's palace. They asked, hey, where is he? We heard a prince has been born who's going to change everything, Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 and 3. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Herod, of course, was troubled because here's some people that showed up who said, where's the one who will dethrone you? Where's the one who will make all the difference you can't make? Now, I just want to say something not to people who don't believe in God or even people who are seeking. I want to say something to those of you who believe in God, but just don't take it all that serious. When Herod heard that... There was a king born among the Jews. What's amazing about it is he didn't doubt that it was actually true. We know that just a few years later, he ordered to have all the babies in Jerusalem killed that were around Jesus' age to keep him from taking his throne. He actually believed. He probably looked at the prophecies. He had the prophecies of Daniel. He probably calculated the years. He got with his own astrologers, his own wise men, and unfortunately, even his own scholars, his own theologians. And he said, is this true? Is this really the year? These wise men are showing up saying that there will be a child who will change everything. And all these people looked at the documents and said, yes. And Herod had a decision to make. And that decision was, does he submit the throne to the living God, to the child who was prophesied, or does he hold on tighter? Many of us in this room... The reason you feel so disconnected from life, the reason you have those valleys that just seem deeper than usual, the reason you get alone and don't like it and so try to numb yourself with alcohol or, or a computer screen or more friendship or more noise or more things, the reason this all happens is because, and I know this is going to come across harsh, but I've sat there before, so I feel like I can say it. It's because when God enters your life, he requires that you step off the throne of your own centeredness. And he wants to step onto that throne. And he wants to reign, as scripture says. And he wants to bless you and give you the life you always wanted. And he wants to do it in a way that usually isn't full of ascension, it's actually usually full of descension. It's full of serving a spouse who maybe doesn't deserve it all the time, it's full of giving finances that you could use for something else it's full of connecting it's full of humility it's full of difference making that that cost you something it's full of laying down your pride it's full of of creating a story around you that's about other people more than it's about you and those things aren't attractive to herod and they're certainly not attractive to you or me and so we hold on to the throne tighter and we say i know jesus wants my life but this is my throne it's my kingdom when I sit with people like that and I often do they'll share with me about all the consequences of their recent life the 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 lost relationship with this child or, or the poor decision financially because they didn't have any patience or, or the marriage that fell apart or whatever it might be. And what's amazing about it is I'll usually try to get them to share more and more and more of the things that, struck, that are happening in their life that bring struggle. Because people really enjoy talking about struggle. I know you don't think they do, but once you can get them out, people need to purge their stuff. This happened, and this happened, and this happened, and then they did this, and then this happened, and then you can't even believe what happened this year, and I'll just ask them, and ask them, and ask them, and already they had prefaced that they don't believe in God, or that they're not willing to give God control, and so eventually I'll get them to a place where with as much love as I can muster, I'll say, so since you're the king of your own life, whose fault do you think that is? And like so many times, they'll suddenly become astrologers and say, the universe it's the universe that's against me. It's like people who don't believe in God and they know I'm a pastor and they want to say I'm going to pray for you, but that, that would be too. So they say, I'm going to send you good thoughts. Like, uh, It's like the iPhones, how you can touch them. I'm like, got it. Thank you so much. It's like Apple pay me good things. I would appreciate it. It, it's just, it just doesn't work logically, right? It just doesn't work. If you're the king of your world, then you're responsible for everything that happens. You have to be. If you don't believe in God and you're all about science, which by the way points to God's glory in every way, but if you're only about science, then when you see your son or daughter and your heart fills with chemicals (laughs) that tell you to protect them so that they can have future versions of you, that should be about it. It's just not real. It's just not honest, and it just doesn't provide any answers. But boy, is Herod's reaction common. My throne, my kingdom, and I'm going to kill anything that gets in the way of that. It's just a thought full of gentleness, love, and complete acceptance. (laughs) Eventually, those wise men, the reason they're called wise men is because they figured out Herod's agenda. See, he asked them, hey, go, go find the child. Go ahead and send me back a messenger. Let me know where he is so I can come and worship him too. And they were like, "Mm -hmm. mm-hmm, mm-hmm, we'll do that. going to send you good thoughts. We're out. They eventually find the child. Matthew 2, verse 9, it says, After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. Now, one thing I just want to say about this, because oftentimes we read things like this, and we feel like these wise men, this huge caravan, uh, because now you know it was, showed up and stayed for like a birthday party, like an afternoon. Like they pushed Jesus on the swing, and they had some cake, and they're like, it was so great to visit with you guys, it was amazing to meet you. We're going to go, absolutely not. These people traveled so far, just to refuel for the traveling back would have taken months, and they could have stayed up to a year with Jesus. Can you imagine as wise men taking time babysitting Jesus? Like saying, I'll take him out to the creek. I'll take him fishing. I'll take him. Like, can you imagine getting to know him, having intimacy with him, holding him while he's asleep, looking into his eyes, or even looking into his eyes while he's awake, and knowing these are the eyes of the God of all creation staring back at you? These boys just didn't show up for an afternoon tea party and bust out. They spent time. They had connection, they had intimacy, and they believed. This whole story is just one big, incredible picture of how salvation works for us still today. And it's a picture of how Jesus is received throughout his whole ministry and still even this morning. In telling us this story, Matthew illustrated a pattern. It's a pattern that would repeat throughout the life and ministry of the Messiah, the first pattern that we notice is that he was unwanted. Other than Mary, other than Joseph, and here's a great thing, other than the shepherds, no one else wanted him. Even the innkeeper said, I don't have any room for you. And here's something really special. I said this last year, and eventually I think I'll build a whole weekend out of it. But so Jesus comes to these shepherds, and shepherds are lowly. Shepherds are are, are people of of low standing. They're people that that you kind of look at from afar, and you're like, oh, bummer, you're a shepherd. You couldn't do any more with your life, and these shepherds are out taking care of their sheep. But like anybody that does any job, they would would get very good at it because if you were a shepherd that lost a lot of sheep, or you were a shepherd that during lambing couldn't allow sheep to survive, you couldn't even be a shepherd anymore, and you would end up being a pauper. So these shepherds, full of, you know, smell, full of the earth, full of smoke from the fire from that night full of whatever lambs they delivered the night before. These shepherds get a star and an angel chorus that proclaims to the lowliest on earth, it is to you he comes. And these shepherds said, let's go find him. I'd like to be that shepherd, like the one with the idea. Let's go find him. We got sheep here. God is born. He'll take care of our sheep. Let's go find him. Because they showed up on the night he was born. And so they go and they show up on the night he was born. They, they maybe hear the baby crying along with the cows mooing. And they're like, that doesn't seem to go together. I bet it's there. And they open the door and they walk in and here's a frightened mother and maybe she's cold, maybe she's unprepared. Maybe she thought she would have got a hotel room, but instead she gets this this stable. And so she's sitting there and Joseph's wide-eyed because he's never given birth to anything in his life before. And here's who God brings. He brings in shepherds who are really, really good at lambs when they're first born. And you've got this lamb of the world right with parents who've never given birth and you've got shepherds with knowing hands saying I'll help I know exactly what to do see our God does not mess around he is he is a storyteller and he wants you him to see you to see him in every aspect of the story and even Mary and Joseph's insecurities were met by people who were better at giving birth than anyone else in the land They knew how to do it. They knew what to do next. And so the shepherd's hands are the ones holding the Lamb of God first, other than his parents. It's the hands of a shepherd. Unbelievable. It's not even my message. It's just so good that it could be. It's just unbelievable. He was unwanted. The verse I was going to say before I got distracted was John 1 11. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. He was also without honor. In his own country, Luke 4.24, and he said, truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. And lastly, he was completely rejected, Matthew 21.42. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Matthew wanted you to see this. He wanted you to understand this. He also wanted you to catch this striking irony, and I put it up here just so you couldn't miss it. Isn't it incredible that Gentile astrologers discovered the Jewish king by following a star, but the scholars of Israel failed to discern their king while possessing the scriptures? Because it takes a seeking heart, not just this book, to find Jesus. It takes a willingness to dethrone yourself and a willingness to accept him who says you're more than just, as I said earlier, science in a chair. It was these pagan magi, lost and searching people, who came to worship the Messiah, but Jerusalem royalty, the good people, the upstanding people, the religious people, who wanted to kill him. Matthew's words are meant to be full of contrast, sharp, startling, and prophetic, or as I said earlier in the message, a bit uncomfortable. Uncomfortable. These magi, they left everything behind and traveled to a distant land to find this one who made them uncomfortable, who questioned everything they knew. And they did it because of Daniel's prophecies of old. Their gifts that they bought recognized him as God, as king, and as heaven's indescribable gift to us. And their story takes us beyond the traditional nativity scene into the real Christmas story, which is the story of God drawing men and women from afar to be brought near through the blood of Christ. See, today you may think of yourself as an unlikely candidate to receive God's mercy and love. You maybe may feel far away from God. But if that's the case, the story of the Magi should resonate in your heart The message we find in the story of the Magi is simply this, it's that God is still drawing men and women from afar, and he's doing it here in this room right now. The door has been opened wide, and salvation is available, and not only to those who seem all put together, but to anyone who will call upon the name of Jesus. Ephesians 2.13, I pour it over your heart in this room, but now in Christ Jesus you once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You do not have to be distant from him. You do not have to feel this emptiness that you feel. You can be realigned, you can be saved, you can be in harmony or in shalom, in peace with your life and with your purpose if you will simply dethrone yourself, look to the one who is proclaiming his love over your world. And you can know Jesus because he wants to know you. I'm going to ask that everyone's heads bow, everyone's eyes close, and if you have never known the living God and you want to, just pray this very simple prayer with me. Just pray it in your heart. Say, God, it's me. I'm tired of feeling this way. I'm tired of being the ruler, the king and the queen of my own life, and I ask, Lord that it would be you and your story that I would tell please come into my life please forgive me for my failures please lead me please help me make the decisions I need to please f- please give me the ability to see past my doubts and my distractions thank you thank you there's others in this room and you believe in God but it's been a long time since you've prayed to him and So you just pray your own simple prayer to him. A prayer that proclaims your desire to be known and to know. Your desire to feel complete and connected. Just lift it to him. He's listening. Just proclaim him. He's willing. He loves you. He's ready to receive your praise.
1: Like the frost